Just like that, the final hour is here for the Tuesday edition. Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow across the Outkick Network. Glad you're with us. The network includes our YouTube channel where you can join us uh, each and every day, live 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern, and search out Outkick, hit subscribe, join Chad in the chat, and much more. It's all available for you right there. And if you're listening to this great radio partner, we say thank you. Chad, uh, I saw Bama in person um, Saturday. My big takeaway, without O'Brien and with Tommy Reese there, all is well, right? It's Alabama. This is more bully ball, like murder ball up front with the offensive line than the exciting offenses that we've seen through Tua and Bryce Young. This, yeah. is, this is going to be more of the, the run game straight ahead plow forward than it is down the field. And I guess that's to be expected. And by the way, it's a they very should, comfortable spot they for Nick should Saban. They should be doing that. Uh, should be doing that. Right? They, uh, they've, their line is great. That's how the, the start of their dynasty began was by playing bully ball and running it a lot. Uh, Milrow looked good in that game you were at. Yeah. So um, Bama's going to be just fine. Kurt Schilling, always good whenever uh, he joins us and, of course, has the podcast uh, and show at Outkick.com, the Kurt Schilling Baseball Show. Playoff time just around the corner. Kurt, always uh, great to have you on the show. We always look forward to these chats. Hope you're doing well, man. I do, too, guys. I really enjoy it. It's a, a chance. I, I, I get to talk about things, and especially on a day like today, uh, I did the Rod Carew interview came out today, and uh, my goodness, the uh, – well, I mean, he's Rod Carew, so – yeah, it was awesome. How often do you stay in touch with guys like Carew and others that may be guests on your show? Uh, are you, do you, are, have you talked with them uh, over time to where you, you kind of know the direction, or is it just uh, uh, you're, you're catching up with someone you've crossed paths with in the past? Well, it, it's for a guy like Rod, uh, a man like Mr. Carew, like it's, there's, there's a sense of, uh, I guess, awe and respect coming from. I grew up a baseball fan. Yeah. So like, I, I knew, I know, right. It's like when I played for Frank Robinson, like it wasn't Frank Robinson, the manager for me, it was Frank Robinson, one of the five best players that ever lived in, in you know, I, so there's a, there's a sense of respect that I think I always try to make sure, especially like an interview with Mr. Crew, I want them to know right up front. Hey, I know who you are. I know what you've done. You're one of the greatest players that ever lived. I have an immense amount of respect for you. Uh, uh, you know, because, I came up at the tail end of the old school where rookies were seen and, and not heard. Right. You, I I'll never forget, man. And this is a true story. Uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll truncate the, the bad words, but I walked <laughs> into my first big league locker room and I'll never, Mickey Tettleton had a cutoff shirt on and he's sitting in his locker and I didn't know Mickey at the time, but I got to know Mickey is a guy who doesn't say boo but he's a massive human being and he's terribly intimidating. And I walk into the locker room and I'm smiling like a Cheshire cat, right? I'm in the big, Eddie Murray's locker, Cal Rifkin's locker. And I look over and I looked at him. He goes, what the F are you looking at? <laughs> and I was like, uh, okay, yeah, we're, I'll, I'll go somewhere else. Like, um, but that, that was, it, it wasn't a, it, it was a good thing and a bad thing. I mean, it, it, in that day and age, there were a lot of guys who had no right to treat young players badly because they sucked as players to begin with. Um, but they did it anyway. Um, and I remember those guys. I'll always remember those guys. Uh, uh, but for a guy like Mr. Carew, I, I want, and, and I did the same thing, uh, gosh, 30 years ago. I interviewed Bob Gibson for the Sporting News. 
And I could tell at the beginning of the interview that he was kind of hesitant to be doing this, but I, I started to lay out my case for why he was one of the greatest ever and why I had, and, and once they understand there's a respect factor, especially the older players, they kind of warm up and you start to get stories and you're going to hear some stories. The story that Rod Carew told about him and Tony Oliva is one of the coolest stories I've ever heard. Awesome. Yeah. I can't, can't wait to, uh, to hear that, to see it. And, and Kurt, it's amazing to me. Um, and, 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 and you can speak on if this, is the case with, with Rod Carew also, but even hearing you talk about the game and stories, it's like uh, the mental process of riding a bike where it just doesn't leave you. And you hear guys that have been around it for so long, and it's it, you ask a certain question or bring back a certain anecdote, and their mind immediately in a sharp way goes right back to it, and they're talking that language again so yeah. fluently. Did you did you find that to be the case with Rod Carew? I, I did. I did. And it's funny because I saw a an interview the other night with Greg Maddox, and they, Greg Maddox threw, you know, five billion innings in his career and the interviewer asked him about a specific pitch and they showed the video and it was a pitch he threw to Moises Salou and you remember how Greg used to have that little comeback where you throw into left-handers and it would come back over the plate well Greg was a master of doing things with the baseball and he apparently had gotten a ball and he said this on the podcast um the ball had been grounded out and there was a huge scuff, almost like a hole in the ball. And he's like, I couldn't wait to throw the next pitch. And he throws the pitch to Alou and it starts out. And I'm not exaggerating. The video's online. It's probably this far, like outside of the screen, away from the outside corner. And it moved all the way almost to the middle of the plate. And, and Alou just bent over, took his, his shin guard off and walked off. <laughs> and it was like a left-handed sweeping breaking ball. And he said, I knew the ball would do that because the way it was scuffed and how badly it was scuffed. I couldn't wait to throw it. And then the first hitter of the next at bat fouled it into the stands. And he's like, oh, then I had to start over and play fair. But it was like, I can go back to pitches and at bats and games, and I can tell you exactly what was going through my mind on any game, any time, once I get, get that brain working. And I think that that's what guys like Mr. Crew like to speak about. You know, in this day and age, um, I, I say it on my podcast. People don't want to hear me tell you that Rod Carew hit 388. They want to hear what Rod Carew and Tony Oliva did in their room on the road to get better. They want to hear about the meeting on the mound and the clubhouse conversations. And I told a story the other night. Somebody asked me on Twitter about John Cruck. Tell me a great John Cruck story. I said, I walked into the, to the clubhouse one day and we had a video room in the back of the clubhouse and there was this couch on it and it was dirtier than any Hollywood casting couch in the history of, of, <laughs> of Hollywood. And Cru it's 1130 in the morning and Crucky's, Crucky's laying on the side of the couch. He's got his underwear on and a sleeveless shirt and he's laying on his side and he's got a plate of microwaved hot dogs and a bowl of mayonnaise. And he's dipping the hot dogs <laughs> in the mayonnaise and eating them. Two hours later, he has a five hit game. I'm like, all right, okay, dude, I give, you know, I mean, those are the things that I treasure that I got to see. Those are the things that people don't know about that, that really, I think kind of bridge the gap between who I am as a player, who I was and who you are as a fan. There's a lot more in common with us than you might think. So I'm watching uh, Braves Dodgers over the weekend. Braves take three out of four and Ronald Acuna Jr. Hits a grand slam to hit his 30th yeah. home run of the year and yeah. become the first player ever to be the 30 60 club and then I, I see a graphic where they're flashing up the odds to win the MVP. And it was just in that moment that he went slightly ahead of Mookie Betts. 
Yep. And Freddie Freeman's right there also. And Kurt, yep. I'm thinking, how is he not a slam dunk to be MVP, being the first man ever to accomplish this? It must be a testament to the season bets and Freddie Freeman are having as well. It is, and it makes me smile every time I think about Red Sox ownership and Mookie Betts and how badly they hose that entire thing. Um, a couple of reasons. Number one, uh, this 30-60 thing, and listen, I, 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 I'm, I'm in awe. He's a phenomenal prospect. Solo bases aren't what they used to be, and they, yeah. they never will be again with the new rule. So, uh, you know, stealing 60 bases is amazing, but it's not what it, it's not like stealing 60 bases 20 years ago. The new stolen base rules have completely changed what the stolen base statistic means. It's also, and, and for all the reasons they did it, they did it because they wanted more offense. They wanted more action on the field and they got it. Um, but I'm, I'm so, so for me, when, when you get to 40 and 50 stolen bases, I don't care about the numbers after that. Right. I mean, that, that it is what it is. The stolen bases of, of nominal value to me anyway. Um, but if he goes if he if he hits 40 home runs or 50 home runs, and remember, we're still, I mean, that's not out of the question. Um, you're talking about a 40, 40, 50, 50 guy that didn't cheat. And that to me, uh, it, it, you, I, you guys have heard me say this, and I say this on my show all the time. Anytime you're talking about a sport that's over a century old and somebody's doing something for the first time, you have to sit back and go, oh my God, what am I watching? The Otani and Trout are great examples of that. So Acuna Jr. also, I, I said this was two-part because he was involved in something last week in Colorado where fans got on the field and uh, tried to hug him, tried to take a picture with him, and it took security a while to get out there. Kurt, do you recall any bad moments over the course of your career, either with security requesting something from them or them being slow to respond to something like we saw in Denver with Acuna? So a couple things. First off, I played in Philadelphia for 10 years, so we never had slow security. Those guys <laughs> were living for the clothesline tackle in center field. Yeah. Like they could, they, and the, and in Philadelphia, this is a true story. The, the vet, the old vet had a, had a, uh, a court, a, a literally a, a, a legal court with a judge under the stadium for football games because they knew Philly fans. Um, but here's the thing. You guys remember Steffi Graf. Yep. Um, and, and her getting stabbed. Monica Sellis. Yeah. Monica, Monica Sellis. I'm yeah. sorry. I'm sorry. Yes. Monica Sellis. This is going to happen and it will happen again until something drastic like that happens. And that scares me because in this day and age with players, uh, and athletes, I mean, I can't imagine allowing a the uh, anybody other than Morgana or or somebody of the double D size allowing them to get near me on a baseball field, right? I mean that that because you just don't know. Because and I always look at that like I look at public confrontations. I'm a I've never had one because I'm a big guy, and so I and so that that deters people for the most part. But also I avoid them because anybody that would walk up to me in public and be physically or or, or aggressive to me. In my mind, I've already thought, okay, there's something going wrong with this person. I don't know to what degree that is. I'm not going to find out. Somebody that runs on the field, you assume the first thing, they're drunk, right? I mean, that's what mm -hmm. happens. You see these idiots get arrested, whatever. But that situation had a chance to turn out way worse than it did. Way worse than it did. And you're talking about arguably when a guy who might end up being a Hall of Famer or maybe one of the greatest players ever lived, there's no 
absolutely no stretch to would you be would you be sitting here would you be shocked if he had been stabbed you'd be terrified petrified absolutely a possible possible outcome and and so and they had enough time to do whatever they wanted L- they could have done whatever they, they wanted anything, but they were they out could there have done whatever they wanted yeah. and and so uh i think you're going to see and again and there's some places that doesn't that doesn't happen in new york that doesn't happen because those security guards they're no bs they'll 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 drill you because again you have to assume a couple things that aren't really rational to start the event which is somebody jumped on the field in front of 30,000 people ran to a person they don't know and physically confronted them or did whatever they did there's no positive outcome there none um uh, the most positive outcome is just somebody gets arrested everything else it just goes downhill from there so uh i i i that's that's scary to see. That really is scary to see because you know he fell to the ground, and so there was enough physical contact for that. That just goes way beyond anything that I would. Uh, and, and I got to tell you, I about the middle of my career, I got into my first big on on field fight, and I found myself at the bottom of a pile, and I almost broke my leg. And I remember thinking to myself, I'll never allow that to happen again. I actually went to Steve Carlton, and I started taking martial arts. Yeah learn how to protect and defend myself uh as much from the game and and making sure you don't get hurt but for a situation like that because i if somebody comes at me like that i'm i'm gonna have to be physical at that point if i'm not if i if i can't avoid uh that 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 physical contact kurt Schilling, our guest here on hot my with hutton withrow check out the kurt Schilling baseball show uh with rod carew as the uh, special guest um otani may not need tommy john surgery now kurt do I just take the? This is through the agent. Is this just setting the stage, trying to build more momentum that it's not going to be as detrimental financially for the agent and for Otani? That it, you see what I'm saying here? Is this good news or is very, this just the same? I would be very, very comfortable in putting any amount of money you wanted to put on a bet that says this: If Shohei Otani does not have Tommy John surgery, he will not pitch again. If he's going to be a pitcher. He will have Tommy John surgery. The 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 you know the trying to impart uh, on on people a lot of times you know when you hear someone say oh he sprained his elbow people don't understand a sprain is a tear. It's just a small a sprain is actual tissue damage. You tear something when you sprain your elbow you tear the ligament to some degree. When you have a tear, it doesn't fix itself. It's not going to fix itself because there's no activity he can do inside and on the confines of a baseball field that limits his use of that arm and that ligament um, other than, Hey, I'm not going to pitch again, but I don't imagine he would be okay. Not pitching again. And, and so, but, but, but then, you know, I I'm speaking from here. You have to weigh you. If you've been through it, I was through it a couple of times. Is it worth 18 months of downtime and not playing the game again? Or do you Bryce Harper it and you come back early and you DH and then you work your way back to the mound? Uh, probably not optimal, but I can't imagine him not, wanting to continue to be that two-way guy. And if he's going to continue, he has to have Tommy John. The only thing he's doing right now is costing himself more innings later down the road. Kurt Schilling, uh, give us the second best story uh, that you brought up briefly with uh, with Rod Carew. Final 30 seconds here. So I'm going to tell you, uh, the, 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 he talked, I don't want to give away either one. He talked no. about facing Bob Gibson. Okay. 
Uh, my probably my personal favorite was I asked him about Roberto Clemente was my idol. I asked him about Roberto Clemente and the reverence with which he talked about Mr. Clemente and the love and the and the and the respect that he had for Mr. Clemente. Um, it comes through, and it, it I get chills thinking about it because it means so much to me. Uh, that man meant so much to me and to my father and to my family. And and he tells, there's some just some phenomenal stories. And there's also some, for young hitters, there's some phenomenally uh, uh, good points to learn from one of the greatest that ever lived. Outkick.com is where you can get the Kurt Schilling Baseball Show. Uh, check that out. We can't wait to do that. New episodes today, every Tuesday and Friday. The one with Rod Carew available right now. Kurt, thanks so much, man. We always enjoy this. Fantasy football draft today, gentlemen. Fantasy football That's draft right. today. We have one no, as well. Draft Fun well. times. I'm thanks, getting Kurt. Getting ready. So, thanks, guys. There's Take care. The great Kurt Schilling. Coming up, Jim Nagy gives us his recap of the college football weekend. Sixth and Peabody, our location. They host Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. And the Outkick Studios. Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow rolls on. Great uh, chat there with uh, Kurt Schilling. I can't wait to hear the interview with Rod Carew. More of a conversation, I'm guessing. The genuine love and respect of the game and those that contributed to it shines through with Kurt Schilling. No doubt. And he talks about it. Mr. Carew. You know that? Yeah, Mr. Clemente. I don't hear him use Mr. that often. Right. You know? Um, That's cool. And it... That's where we could do, we could chat old stories with him for far longer than a segment. Oh, yeah. Just going down the path. Chad, uh, week one in the books, Duke's 28-7 win over Clemson. I do think we are uh, reacting a bit over the top on Duke. Because this was really 14-7, 17-7. And then you had the return for a score, uh, another quick turnover. I I agree we learned more about Clemson. I know we learned about Riley Leonard. I just don't view Duke, and more power to them. They, they performed well. I want to give them props. I'm just trying not to overreact. And every time I see a week one win that came out of nowhere, kind of, I think of Florida of last year. Is that bad of me? No, no. I, I think week one's... Just look at gambling lines at times and how off they can be because we really don't know with certain teams. We certainly didn't know about Colorado and all the player turnover and the new team they had. We didn't know about TCU. I think TCU may be worse than expected and probably not, you know, not probably after that game, not fitting of a top 20, you know, ranking that they were 20 to 21st, whatever they were. Um, That goes to say for everyone, LSU probably a little bit overrated, based off the one win over Alabama in November of last year. So that's the beauty of college football. We don't see preseason games. We don't have media members even at scrimmages. So we don't know necessarily what these teams look like, especially with new players. Look at Texas State with T.J. Finley, a quarterback. No one knew Texas State had a chance to go in there and beat Baylor the way they did. That's kind of the beauty and the agony of it. I'm with you. I'm impressed with Duke. I don't want to go over the top and say, well, now Duke is going to win the ACC or has a chance to do that yet. But it was an impressive one night. But that game, to me, spoke more about Clemson's inadequacies and mistakes 
than it did Duke. D- Duke was very well prepared, great defensive game plan. They took advantage of opportunities in front of them, but you can't also can't fumble twice inside the 10-yard line going into score the way Clemson did. Mistakes like that is what doomed them. Notre Dame has come out of the gate, and they've won the first two weeks, week zero, week one, by a combined score of, I believe it's 98-3. to three. Uh, Maybe off by a few points on that. 98-6, yeah. to six, uh, allowing a field goal in each game to Navy and then to Tennessee State. Chad, their next four, they are at NC State this coming weekend. They will host Central Michigan. They will then host Ohio State and then travel to Duke. I'm tying. I'm tying in the Blue Devil schedule. Yeah, but Notre Dame. This is what should be four and zero. Find playing out. Ohio State and Duke. I would think so. Yep, I would think so. But the next two opponents is where we find out about Notre Dame. Yeah, to your point about week one and not really knowing uh, one way or the other. Uh, Jim Nagy certainly knows college football, the NFL, and the the bridge between. He's the executive director of the Reese's Senior Bowl. And pleased to be joined by Jim Nagy each and every Tuesday at this time. We're going to go across the country and the top games, top performers that he has scouted, that his staff has scouted each and every week for the upcoming Senior Bowl uh, invites and the next stage headed towards the, the NFL careers. Jim, we're excited about this and excited to get things rolling because you had uh, scouts at 18 different games across the country this weekend. How are you, man? I'm good. Good to see you guys. Um, yeah, we we're busy, man. 18 games uh, kept me busy on Twitter on Saturday. Guys were firing off videos to me to post on on our Twitter all afternoon. Um, so no, we were we some of our guys went to three games. We had a couple scouts that that uh, over the over the weekend did three games. So yeah, we were we were everywhere. One of your scouts, a first year scout, and Julius Pruitt. He was there for you for TCU in Colorado. I know from your perspective. You're wanting to get a look at TCU, but he came away telling you that was no <laughs> fluke victory for Colorado. That was legit. Yeah, really impressive. Um, I was actually out at TCU practice a couple weeks ago now, two, three weeks ago. Um, and I tried to make that point on social media that, that like, you know, this, this TCU is a good football team. Like, let's not think that because they lost all those guys from the CFP last year that are now in the NFL. Uh, we had five in the senior bowl last year. Um, this isn't like a team devoid of talent. They didn't lose everything, right? Like they've got, they've got a tight end, Jared Wiley, who, who's probably going to end up senior bowl. They've, they've got, you know, a left guard. They've got a corner, Josh Newton. I mean, they've got a bunch of NFL players on that team. So what Dion did taking 80, some new players, pulling them all together in one year, getting out there in week one and having it all come together like that. Uh, you can't overstate how impressive that is. Everyone loves to talk quarterbacks. You got to see a good one. And Tulane quarterback (laughs) Michael Pratt over the weekend. What was your takeaway after watching him play up close and personal, Jim? He was good, man. He was really good. Like couldn't have couldn't have come away with 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 a better impression. And I've seen Michael before. I was at a couple games last year. You know, we had Tajay Spears, uh, their great running back, who's now up there in in your guys' neck of the woods with the Tennessee Titans. Um, So I've seen seen Michael, but man, he put on a show. Um, It was good seeing him in pregame. I love seeing quarterbacks in pregame and just how they you know, interact with their, with their teammates. And, you know, he was really loose um, out on the field. And then he goes out there against a, a Kane Womack coach defense at South Alabama, who does a better job of kind of coming up with different pressure stuff to get to quarterbacks of any coach in the country. And, and Michael handled it great. Um, he found the open guys. He got hit in the mouth. He delivered strikes. 
uh, 14 of 15. The only incompletion was a really a drop ball that went right through a guy's hands, hit him in the face mask. Um, it should have been, it should have been perfect, you know, four touchdown passes. So, uh, yeah, really, really impressive, man. The way he handled himself in a big, big environment, big, big season opening game against a group of five team that won 10 games in South Alabama and they put it on them and that's a good South Alabama team. And they, they put it on them the other night. They go from South Alabama to the sec Tulane hosts Ole Miss, uh, this coming weekend. How about Florida state statement hanging 45 on LSU, Jim? Huge, man. I mean, I, everyone I've asked, had people ask me this week, like, what does this mean for LSU? I think it means, I, I just look at it more like, what does it mean about Florida State? I, I still think this is a good LSU football team. They're coming off winning the West in the SEC last year. They got Jaden Daniels back. I mean, that, that they're going to win a ton of games this year. I think what it says is Florida State is for real. Um, they're what I thought they could be. Um, you go out in the portal and you bring in Jaheim Bell from South Carolina, who's kind of a Swiss Army knife, do it everything, offensive skill, weapon, whatever you want to call him. I mean, he's lining up in the backfield. We've got him on the senior board board right now as a fullback um, because we have tr- we have we have more problems finding fullbacks for our game than tight ends, so we've moved more to fullback. But uh, you know, then they go out and they get Keon Coleman from Michigan State. Those two guys account for five touchdowns. You know, in week one, if if my point is if they're clicking week one with all these new faces, with, with Jordan Travis, you know, being the distributor, if they're doing that week one, what is that offense going to look like in the end of November leading into college football playoff? I mean, Mike Norvell is a, a great play caller, um, has been for, for the last 10 years, one of the best play callers in college football. And he's had good players. He had Tony Pollard. He had Darnell Mooney. He's had, you know, Antonio Gibson. He had good players at Memphis, but he never had a group like this. So, um, pretty scary what the Seminoles could look like uh, once we get to the end of the year. Jim, I was in Nashville to watch Tennessee take on Virginia, and watching Joe Milton, the stat line obviously would have been a lot different had the 70-yard bomb been caught by Ramel Keaton in the game, but it felt like Virginia was playing a way that forced Milton to be a little bit more patient uh, than usual, not take as many shots down the field. What did you see specifically in your team and Joe Milton and his debut against Virginia. Yeah, we did. We had, we had a guy up there and he thought Joe was the best player on the field. I mean, I, and he said about Ramel Keaton, like those, that's, that's his thing, man. He, he usually, he reels those in. He's, yeah. he's got really good hands. So that was a surprise, but um, I'll start off by saying on this game, like Tony Elliott's team, he made the point in his post game about like, it was a win just to get back out on the football field after losing three teammates last year, they have not played since they lost those teammates. So. Um, that was a big step for Virginia. Uh, I don't know what that game says about Tennessee. I, I wouldn't read too much into that game. I think there's going to be huge tests down the road, but I do think you're going to see teams defend um, defend Milton the way that Virginia did. I mean, I, I think you're going to see a lot of too high coverage and, and make him kind of dink and dunk and make good decisions and be smart with the ball and not just beat you over the top. So, um, yeah, this is a big season for Joe Milton. I, I said it the other day. Uh, I wrote it the other day on social media. Like this guy, nobody's got more to, to gain from this college football season than Joe Milton. Jim Nagy with us. He's the executive director of the Reese's Senior Bowl. SeniorBowl.com is where you can go, by the way, where fans can vote on the 75th anniversary team. For instance, uh, Bryant Young and Aaron Donald could be on the inside uh, as you have, uh, uh, let's see, Demarcus Ware. Who else did you tell me? Michael Strahan, uh, Jason Taylor. There have been some great players that have rolled through Mobile and the in the Senior Bowl, and 
each week we're previewing top players from the college football week and have a chance to play in this game as well. You can go at seniorbowl.com. I want to get your take on a, a look ahead here, Jim. Alabama, mm-hmm. Texas. I, I saw Alabama and Tuscaloosa. I call it murder ball, bully ball up front. They're getting back to that, which I think they should with the offensive line. However, Texas poses a bit of a problem up front on defense, don't they? And you certainly have your eyes on that matchup in the trenches this weekend. Yeah, that's where that's where my eyes are going to be to start with um, when Texas defense is on the field. I mean, they've got five they've got five guys in the secondary that NFL teams are looking at, but really up front when you talk about Tavondre Sweat, um, the big nose tackle. I was when I was there a couple of weeks ago. Tavondre was like three sixty ish, you know, and then he's got Alfred Collins next to him. So those two, that's as good an inside do as, as Alabama's going to see this year, and they're different players, right? Tavondre's this this big massive guy that's hard to move, and then and then Alfred Collins, I've said this, you know, before, like if you grade the flashes from his junior tape, now it's not always consistent, but if you grade the flashes with his length and his ability to get up and affect, get up field and affect the quarterback, he could be a top 50 player easily. Um, so that's going to be a big test for that Alabama offensive line and take nothing away from coach stocks guys at middle Tennessee um, is coach stock has a great program, but that this is a different animal coming to Tuscaloosa than uh, what they what they saw last week. A chance to, to learn about some programs this coming weekend, Chad. Yeah, and we learned a, a lot about uh, North Carolina and South Carolina in that game against each other, two you know, good opponents in, in week one. South Carolina fans certainly disappointed about the outcome, specifically Spencer Rattler. What did you see in his performance against a North Carolina defense that really got after him? I thought Spencer played well. I really did, man. I Again, I've heard all offseason what a good what a from their staff what a good offseason he had, and I think he made, he showed growth. Um, you know, he ended last year on a high note. He had the big game against Clemson, and I, I think it was Tennessee. Like he he ended pretty well, um, but they got after him. Yeah, they sacked him eight times, but he did a good job, like feeling stuff and finding finding an escape route and getting out of there and making some throws. He could have been sacked a lot more than eight times. I'll say that uh, they got to they need to figure that out. I want to say, like, listening to all the post-game stuff over the weekend, the common theme was um, clean things up. Like, every coach, we got to clean this up. We have this to clean up. Well, South Carolina's got to figure out a way to clean up protection for, for Rattler. He's not he's not going to be upright here by midseason. But he hung in there, to his credit. He got beat up, and he hung in there and made throws. And if you're looking for a silver lining, Xavier Leggett really stepped up and placed the juice wells. You know, their top receiver goes down in the second quarter. And uh, Xavier Leggett's a guy. We do a stock up player of the week every week. That's our guy for the senior bowl this week. He finished with nine catches for a buck 78, I want to say, buck 79. And, and last year he had 18 catches for like 160 yards. So he he basically equaled what he did all last year. And the tape looked good. It wasn't just we, you know, I wanted to make sure that the paper production matched the tape. So before we named him our stock up guy of the week, we we made sure we watched that tape. And, and Xavier looked like an NFL player. Um, on, on Saturday. So it wasn't all lost. I know, I know that's a tough loss for the Gamecock fans, but uh, there were some good things. Um, it'll get better. Jim Nagy's been our guest. Uh, he's mentioned his social. You can follow him there at Jim Nagy underscore SB. SB Senior Bowl. He's the executive director of the Reese's Senior Bowl. Where are you headed this weekend? Do you know yet? Up there in Tuscaloosa, man. Okay. It's, uh, it's an easy well. three. It's not an easy three and a three and a half hour drive. I mean, you're going through all backcountry roads, so there's uh, nowhere to stop. There's nowhere to eat. Um, but yeah, I'll be heading up there. It's going to be an incredible environment. And Brian Denny on Saturday night, 
um, I would not miss that one. I love how Alabama, by the way, would not send their band last year because they only gave them upper deck seats for the band, and they returned the favor this year to Texas band, only offered up upper deck seats. Love uh, it. Jim will not be sitting Love in the it. upper deck. Uh, <laughs> hey, we're, we're looking forward to this, man, truly. And as the season progresses, your analysis on the individual players is going to be awesome as we head towards what is draft season for you during the regular season of college football. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, guys, look forward to it every week. Thanks. Yeah, thanks, Jim. Uh, Jim Nagy. This will be great. A absolutely. And going to some top games. I'm jealous. I went to yeah. Tuscaloosa last weekend. Would love to be there. Just go back again this weekend. This weekend. Huh? Come might, on. Might as well. Do it. Big game. Sean Payton is telling his team and Russell Wilson what? Details next. Been a fast show. Fun show recapping the college football weekend. Rest of the week. Got you covered going into week two for college football. Also, NFL week one, which kicks off Thursday night in Kansas City as the Lions visit the Chiefs. Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow rolls on, wrapping up with uh, 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Our goal each and every day, Chad, get to the evening. Get, get to, to the, the evening as fast as possible. Get to your enjoyable evening, hopefully. Uh, I was trying to get to a softball practice to coach tonight, but my field got rained out. So if anyone knows of a free softball field somewhere within driving distance of Nashville, let me know if you want to offer that up for me. You've we, rented several in the past. I we, think. Need, uh, we need practice. We need a practice. It's going to be a long layoff in between games if we don't have a practice in the next three days. It has been a long offseason for the Denver Broncos. Yes, Sean Payton is, is followed all, up by a very long season for the Denver Broncos. It could be. Uh, but Sean Payton is clearly in charge of everything. He's put Nathaniel Hackett on blast, but in the same answer, also put the front office on blast, and no one really picked up on that. Uh, now he's telling his quarterback and his team certain things about the 2023 season that will not be tolerated based on what happened with Hackett's team a year ago as they kicked off the season in Seattle. Now they kick off at home against the Raiders on Sunday. Well, Hutton, let me go from the insightful to the hilarious. This in the profile of Sean Payton by Seth Wickersham. Um, here's a couple of excerpts. One, uh, this is the insightful part of it, talking about Payton. He's not a mad scientist drawing up plays in those hours. He's doing something much harder, creating mechanisms for his quarterback to decode the opposing defense before the snap. Last year, only two teams committed more pre-snap penalties than the Broncos. Peyton knows that this year, if the play clock is under 10 seconds and Wilson is futzing at the line, the defense will probably win. That's interesting. Futzing. Futzing. I've never heard that, uh, that word before, but that's insightful, right? Yeah. Spending those hours, coming up with ways for him to see defenses better pre-snap and get the Broncos in the right play without having pre-snap penalties. Now let's go to the hilarious part of the profile of some of Sean Payton's advice to Russell Wilson. Quote, Payton is the program. Everything flowing out of his fierce ingenuity and ethic. He showed the team a video of a 2022 Ford Bronco driving off a cliff, letting players know last year is over. He told Wilson that to salvage his career, he needed to focus less on Russell Inc. Quote, Will you effing stop kissing all the babies? You're not running for public office. That was his advice to Russell Wilson. The Russell Inc. part of this, Hutton, with his whole thing, 
and the you know Broncos country let's ride and everything else. Some of the cringeworthy stuff from Russell Wilson, I think, is great advice from from uh, Sean. Reports Payton that he had his own office, won his own office, and all that stuff. I mean, yeah. You're not running for public office. I think, Stop with the kissing babies. I think I love it. What's interesting? I'm going to pull up their first month stretch here. Um, what's interesting about all of this is Sean Payton had he didn't have to return to football this year. Yeah. Reports where he was getting somewhere between what uh, fifteen and twenty million if he wanted to, to to stay in broadcasting, and and chose to return to coaching because he just wanted to match whatever he was getting in in media. Gruden, for instance, made uh, a brand out of always being the coach discussed, but never the coach that actually wanted to get married again. Yeah, and he just stayed in media. He liked leaving teams at the altar. Peyton immediately jumped back in. And he did it with a, again, he had his choice. He chose the Broncos and Russell Wilson and that contract that they're married to. Yep. And he's, I think I'm fascinated because he did that and he's still telling Wilson this. He, he knew, or at least he, he truly believes it is his way that is going to get the Broncos back on course and Wilson back on course. And he had to have the belief that if he took over, his way would be received well by Russell Wilson. The brutal honesty. That's what that is. Like, can we stop kissing babies and getting back to uh, you know, football instead of running for public office? Same could be said for the team, but the team is Russell Wilson. And I, I think what he told him is pretty much what teammates wanted to tell him. And what Nathaniel Hackett didn't really mind because Hackett's more behind-the-scenes play caller than he is leader of a locker room, leader of a group of men looking for a direction and a purpose. And Sean Payton, you know, for all of his talk to Russell Wilson about, you know, stop worrying about Russell Link and get back to being a – I believe him when he says that. He's got no problem being a celebrity coach. He's got no problem with these things being public. He's got no problem calling out Nathaniel Hackett in an interview, he's got no problem with Seth Wickersham doing a profile where these intimate details of what he's telling Russell Wilson and specific problems he has with him his last season is made public. So it's kind of who Sean Payton is also. He's not afraid of the limelight. So I, it's interesting to me. I'm not saying it's wrong. It's just interesting this tact of making all this stuff public and his motivation behind that. It's like he wants people to know that he's telling Russell Wilson that what you did last year was unacceptable and I'm not going to put up with it. He certainly wants everyone to know Nathaniel Hackett, he believes, is a joke. And it was a clown show a year ago. And they, they've got to correct that now because he's the great coach to come in and do that. I, I just find it interesting how he's gone about about this very publicly. Yeah, and, and brash. And by the way, their, their opening stretch of the season, they're, they're of course hosting the Raiders. Interesting storylines there. Uh, they then return home. They'll stay at Mile High to host the Commanders. Commanders have Arizona in week one. And uh, hope that Sam Howell's the guy. Meanwhile, you fast forward a couple of weeks, end of September, they're on the road in Miami, on the road in Chicago, and then return home to host the Jets. That's their first five before uh, you get back to the division and face the Chiefs in Kansas City. They've got to start fast and be hot out of the chute here. 
to be relevant by the bye week, which is week nine. A lot of teams, uh, we mentioned Kansas City earlier, they've started slow in recent years, but they pick it up. I think for the team and for Wilson and, and Peyton, it's imperative for those two to click and play far better than what we saw from him last year and to have Peyton's public and brash and brutal honesty uh, take and approach work against teams like Las Vegas and Washington and with uh, potentially Miami and Chicago because then you're going through the gauntlet of the AFC at that point. And that's where you get tuned out. Yep. Chad, uh, message board post of uh, the week, of the weekend. We turn to... There were a lot of good ones this weekend, <laughs> by the way. I mean, and, oh. and specifically on this subject of Dabo Sweeney and the, the T- Clemson Tigers, they were getting absolutely roasted I, online last night. I, I think if, if you were holding a, a vote, like who would you... Which fan base would you guess that we're pulling up? It's either LSU or it's Clemson. And it, we're going with Clemson based on uh, this topic at uh, Tiger Net. Too much God and not enough football. And the uh, post beneath it from Clemson WS Panic. <laughs> uh, ironic, we get our teeth kicked in by the Blue Devils too. Now that's a prophecy <laughs> I've never. If if now that's a prophecy if I've ever seen one. Hopefully we get back to what really matters in Clemson, and that's football. There were a lot of, this is terrific, there were a lot of mentions of Dabo Gemstone uh, after the game during that, comparing it to Righteous Gemstones. Uh, This was a great tweet from (laughs) D.R. Vall, V-A-W-L. Dabo thinking of that buyout, and it's Uncle Baby Billy singing a song in the latest season of Righteous Gemstones. Um, Man, it it is. And look, I'm sure Clemson fans certainly hate all of this, and rightfully so. It's a testament to Dabo's success also. They've been very good. Sure. And when you're very good, people, you become annoying to those that aren't fans of your team. So Clemson has become very annoying, and Dabo in particular has become very annoying to people. So what happens online? People celebrate your demise. When bad things happen in sports, people like to jump all over it, and that's what happened to Clemson during that game last night. For Clemson, they got to figure out better offensive play and better quarterback play moving forward because uh, what Klubnik did last night with Garrett Riley calling plays, that is certainly not the answer. Well, you can tie in that post, which is the overall vibe of college football, uh, a religion. That one result affects so many people's week ahead. You're either happy or you're sad based on the result from Saturday for the next for the upcoming week ahead. Oh, and it's not even that. I mean, you it's can go back incredible. to it a month from then and think, man, if we only hadn't blown that game against Duke or whatever it may be, based on how the season goes, then yeah. you go back and that lingering loss. You, it, there's always a game next week. It's not like professional baseball where you get to play every day and you quickly move past everything. So at some point, you've got to suck it up if you're a fan of a team that lost this weekend and say – all right, who are we playing next? Let's move forward and start thinking about that game. But that it's the it's the fun of this sport that things like this, it's like a lingering wound that you don't put a Band-Aid over, and it just kind of festers and makes you more and more angry, and then it pops back up at the worst possible time later in the season. That's going to be what this game could be for Clemson fans, or it could just be one in many disappointing weekends. Not a disappointing weekend for Colorado. And Deion Sanders and what they did at TCU. 
they now have their season opener at home, uh, opening their, their home slate against Nebraska this coming Saturday. And, Chad, according to front office sports, right now uh, the cheapest ticket to get in the stadium is over $400 on the value of the ticket. That will that not just uh, – we just saw an attendance record for TCU – now think about the monetary records that will be set to go see a game in Boulder. Hutton, in November of last year, you would have been hard-pressed to find people you could pay $400 to go see Colorado football games in yeah. that stadium. And now this is the most expensive ticket in college football this weekend. It's going to be a great scene. I've been to Boulder. It is a breathtakingly beautiful place and a very cool campus. I'm excited to see the big noon kickoff and the pregame show to see what the environment's like heading into this game because there's going to be a ton of Nebraska fans there too. They travel as well or better than anyone in the country. There will be a lot of red in that stadium. By the way, the, the lowest price for Colorado's uh, game against TCU last year was $30. And now we're seeing the cheapest ticket at 454 for Colorado, Nebraska. For the, this year's uh, Chad, you were home saying, opener. For those just joining us, and I think it's an interesting thing to follow this Saturday, the ratings battle between game day and big noon kickoff. Yeah, I've been looking for that. Today, at some point, they'll release the ratings from this past Saturday, and I was interested to see if, the, if they were close with college game day on ESPN in Charlotte for South Carolina and North Carolina, and big noon kickoff was in Fort Worth. Fort Worth. For Colorado. And they look, I, I watched, I record both shows and go back and watch a good bit of both. It was the Deion Sanders show. They made it a Deion well, Sanders special. And they won it throughout for the, first the day. Two they, weeks. They had Michael Irvin Pre as their special guest yeah. that was talking about his buddy Deion. I mean, it was a Deion Sanders special. And now, yeah, you're going to get a second helping of that coming off an enormous win this past Saturday. Chad, uh, tomorrow, I'm going to go further in depth on this, but. Watching Clemson-Duke last night, right at the end, and you start thinking about college football playoff, what, what the impact of the loss for LSU and Clemson, what that means moving forward, and what my feelings will be when we have a 12-team playoff instead of the four, and the impact of week one, and whether or not you have the detrimental feeling, like Clemson fans are posting about, or what LSU fans are posting about, where they're actually calling for Brian Kelly's job. Yeah. Not, uh, that, it's one or two or three. It's not the fan base, but it is one or two or three. They were probably willing to name their kids after Brian Kelly yep. prior to kickoff. We'll BK. do that tomorrow. Yeah, they go with BK instead. Clay Travis will join us, Dan Dockage, and more. Hope you'll join us. 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Hot by with Honey Withrow across the Outkick Network. <laughs>